Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. So when the angels had left them, being the shepherds, gone into heaven, shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I am convinced that most people who reject Jesus do so because they don't fully understand him or what he's about. And truly, that being the case, and you might be someone here uh, who's one of those people, truly that being the case, the fault does not rest with you. It rests with me and others like me, Christians, Jesus followers, because I don't fully understand what Jesus is about. It's suggested that Christianity is primarily about our ethics, our behavior, that if we stop cussing, um, put away the bottle, become a goody-goody in the best and worst usage of that phrase, that's what Jesus cares about. Or it's suggested that Jesus is primarily an enlightened teacher, that his philosophical musings are lofty and incisive and on par with the best spiritualist the world has ever seen. Or at its worst, Jesus really represents a judgmental and angry God, that he's about eliminating the fun and probably being a bit sadistic and petty in the process. But the truth is that Christianity is fundamentally about none of those things, not one. Now, I'm not saying Jesus doesn't care about the lives we live. He does, but certainly not in a sadistic, petty sense. And I'm not even saying that Jesus isn't enlightened in his teaching. I would go so far to say that Jesus is the most enlightened teacher the world has ever seen, said with a Christmas twinkle in my eye. That's actually the astigmatism. It's not a twinkle. It's just when the light hits it. But none of this is fundamentally why God came to earth. Well, so then you might be asking yourself, well, does anyone know what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie. No, I'm not going to do that. That was too easy. That was too easy. Christmas, and really the entirety of Christianity, is not about telling us how we can get to God, whether through our behavior or through teaching or whatever else. It's not telling us how we can get to God. The Christian story is telling us how God got to us. And he did so through the very historical person of Jesus of Nazareth. But for what purpose, we might ask? Why would God need to come to earth? Why would he need to write himself into the story? And in such a base and humiliating way, no less, as a baby, why would God do that? And in order to answer that question, I want to tell a recent story of mine. 
I've been seeing a spiritual counselor this summer and fall, uh, trying to help me process the ways that my past might influence my present. Go figure, right? The nerve that at 25, we don't just shut it off, you know, and be like, okay, I start over now. Our past influence our present. I was born with something called Golden Heart Syndrome. Uh, essentially, it's a craniofacial condition. The best explanation the doctors could give my parents is that when my mother was pregnant with me in the first trimester, really early on, before she even knew it, uh, a blood vessel popped in my embryonic brain, and it stunted my development. So when I was born, and my parents had no idea that I had this, um, I was born with two holes in my heart, and my heart's facing backwards. Bottom part of my right lung really doesn't work, so I had a lot of bronchitis as a kid. I have scoliosis in my back. I wasn't joking about these stigmatisms. I do have astigmatisms in both eyes. Um, born with my left jaw not completing fully, um, without a left ear, uh, without a left cheekbone. The left side of my face was very underdeveloped. So I was just born really broken in a lot of ways. You may have heard of the recent movie, Wonder, that came out. Um, it tells, it's, it's a fictional account, but it might as well have been real. Um, it tells the story of a, of a boy in Brooklyn, actually. I didn't know that. I hadn't read the book, who was born with a craniofacial condition. And it tells his story and his parents' story and his, his family's story. And it's really well done. I definitely was the creepy man, you know, sitting in the back of the theater, hood pulled up, drawstrings tight, just weeping the entire time. I told Anna, I ne we never go see movies, and that's my fault, because she loves movies. But she was editing, I went up to her, I was like, babe, I'm gonna go see a movie tonight. And she gave me this look, like I had told her her meatloaf is terrible or something. It's like, you're gonna go see a movie by yourself? I'm like, babe, I'm gonna go see Wonder. And she goes, this is gonna be like therapy for you or something. I'm like, yeah, you're not allowed to come. <laughs> but I definitely owe her a movie now, so. And I definitely, I, I went and I just grieved the entire time. Well, do the way I was born, I've had many, many surgeries in my lifetime. I actually tried to tally it up with my mom. We have lost count. Somewhere between 15 and 20, somewhere around there. Um, and so my counselor, what she had me do, she had me do an experiment. And yeah, I was weirded out at first, but I went along with it, okay? So trust the process. For you 76ers fans in here, you get it. Trust the process, go with me in this moment. She had me travel back to my earliest memory in the hospital. And though I had already had many surgeries by this point, I distinctly remember being a six-year-old boy in a Bay Area hospital about to go under for my first of three ear reconstructions. As I was in the room then, and even now, I can already feel my stomach starting to constrict a little bit. I don't like hospitals, unfortunately. Um, tears were already starting to well in my eyes a little bit, and she asked me, oh, Sorry, I didn't explain the most important point. Um, even though the six-year-old me is in the hospital bed, the full-grown version me is in the room as well, okay? So I, present-day Russell, am in the room where six-year-old Russell is about to get wheeled back into the operating room. And she asked me, what is the six-year-old boy feeling? And I say he's confused. Why? Because he doesn't understand why he's there. He knows he's different, but he didn't realize different would be so painful. He didn't realize different would be so scary. And I watched them as they insert the IV into his hand, 
which was always the worst part. I hated the IV. It wasn't even the needle necessarily. It was the tape. I hated the tape. For some reason, when that needle went in and the tape went on, I wasn't Russell anymore. I was less than human. I couldn't keep myself alive. To this day, I don't wear jewelry. I don't wear watches. I don't wear necklaces. I definitely was in that phase in sixth grade where the sterling silver necklace was in. Y'all remember that? I did it for like one week and I was like, I can't do it. I'm gonna leave it to Marshall Mathers. He can pull it off, not me. (laughs) When I got married, it took me like six months to get used to this thing. And not for the reason you would expect. Like, I just can't wear jewelry. I was like, babe, can we just tattoo a ring on there or something? Because I don't like it. Um, And I watch in the room as the nodes are being put on the six-year-old boy's chest and that oxygen monitor goes on his finger and he's just getting all strapped up and everyone in the room is smiling genuinely and trying to comfort him, but no one is explaining anything to him. And they're not able to because they don't fully understand what's going on either. And as I watch, I begin to grieve because I realize it's at this point that the six-year-old me is starting to experience what will become his core wound. So apparently, all of us have a core wound, something in the deepest recesses of our identities that is broken. Some of us were abandoned. Some of us were abused. Some of us moved around a lot and, or other circumstances. We just struggle with our identities. We don't know who we are. But there's something in the deepest part of ourselves that is absolutely broken. And my core wound is simply this. I believe that I am ugly. And when I say ugly, I don't mean some people find me attractive and other people don't. That's not what I mean. I mean, when I say ugly, that I came out of the womb a monster. I came out of the womb grotesque, that there is something fundamentally at the deepest level defective and ugly about me. And see, here's the thing. Core wounds are not the sort of things that you consciously think about. There are deepest presuppositions about how the world works and our place in the world. So it's not like I sort of lament or bemoan my core wound, my ugliness. It's just, hey, this is how the world is. And since my deepest self believes that I am fundamentally ugly in a world that gives love to what is beautiful, well then my story will be the one of someone who develops a behavioral response to overcompensate for that, right? I will become a tireless worker. I will be the kid who in seventh grade wakes my dad up at 5.30 every morning to drive me to the gym because I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I will be um, the teammate on sports teams who's the first one at practice and the last one to leave. I will be the student who will not only do the assigned reading, I'll do all of the supplemental reading too. Like the stuff that they say, if you have time, if you're interested, you can do this. I will do every single last page, even if I stay up till three or 4 a.m. And I will do not a single one of these things because I enjoy them, not one. I will do them because I believe I am ugly in a world that gives love to what is beautiful. Therefore, if I'm ever to experience love, it will have to come 
on the basis of my achievements, not who I am, because who I am is defective and ugly. In a sense, if I were to stop working for a second, the world would see me for who I am, and they would reject me as unworthy of love. In a sense, my work ethic was an attempt to cast a spell on everyone to love me because I knew I could never be loved as I am. And there in that hospital room, I see the first gleam of that realization in that six-year-old boy's eyes. I see that confusion as it's setting in, like what's going, what's going on? I see the first marks of this wound, which will become deeper and darker and more internalized as the years will go on. And so my counselor asked me, what do you want to tell the six-year-old boy? And I'm crying, friends, and I'm grieving. But I can't think of anything because he wouldn't understand anything I have to say. It's just starting to, to bloom in his mind. He doesn't understand what's about to happen in the world. He doesn't understand the rejection he's going to experience. He doesn't understand how he's going to be wounded by other wounded people. He doesn't understand all the stares that are going to happen. And if I tried to explain it all to him, he just wouldn't get it. He wouldn't get it. And so in my vision, I walk over to his bed and I wrap him tightly in my arms and I start crying into his hair. That's all I could think to do was just to hold him and to cry. I want him to know I'm there. And then it hits me. It hits me. I know what I want to say to him. A simple statement, absolutely simple, but profound and liberating because it is the truest statement that could have ever been said to me. Past me, present me, I'm assuming future me. It's the truest thing. It's the truth. And so I crouch down and I look at the six-year-old boy in his eyes and I say to him, yes, it's true. You're broken. You are so absolutely broken. But you're not ugly. And I choose you. Do you hear me? You're broken. You are. More broken than you realize. But you're not ugly. And I choose you. And then my counselor asked me, and where is Jesus right now? And my friends, I almost fell onto the floor in hysterical sobs because that is it. That's the point. I said earlier that Christianity, this whole Judeo-Christian story, it's not a manual telling us how we get to God. It's the love story telling us of how our creator God came to us and why we ask, for what purpose would God come to deliver this message? See, the truth is, in that vision, Jesus is the one weeping in the corner, not me. You and me, we're all the one in the hospital bed, slowly starting to realize that the world is darker and more broken than we realized. And Jesus is weeping. He knows, he sees us anxious, confused, scared, and he knows we're about to experience a world full of pain. But he can't explain that to us. He can't explain any of that because we wouldn't understand it. So Jesus steps out of the shadows. God enters the world. 
He comes to our bedside and he wraps us up and he weeps into our hair. He holds us. Weeping because he can't explain how deep the brokenness goes. Weeping because he can't explain how diseased the world is. How much work is to be done. But he's there. He's here. God is present. We can feel him. We can hear his voice. We can touch him. And then when Jesus finishes having a good cry, he looks you right in your eye and he says, yes, it's true. You're broken. More broken than you realize. It's all broken. But you're not ugly. Do you hear me? That's important you recognize. You're broken. But you're not ugly. And I choose you. Always and forever, I will choose you. In fact, you're going to see very, very shortly just how much I choose you. See, at Christmas, when we hear the angel tell us, you don't have to be afraid because I bring you insanely good news that will be for all people. News so good that I was shocked when the father told me. And we ask, well, what is this news? And he says, God has entered the hospital room. God has come to your bedside. He's entered the world. The king has returned. And we ask, well, why? Why has he come? To deliver the father's message. Yes, oh world, you are broken. My creation, you are very broken indeed. But you're not ugly. And I choose you. Come, let us do this together. And that's what Christmas is all about. Will you pray with me? Father, I just, uh, I just want to take a minute and allow the truth of that statement to cut to our very souls. That your story, the entirety of your story, is the same message that you gave to Israel, that you still give to Israel the same message that you gave to the Gentiles that you brought in to your community, into your family. You are a God who desires for all to be at the table. And the message to your world that you came in the flesh and delivered is that we're broken, but we're not ugly. I pray that every heart here would allow that to sink in. I don't know what their core wound is. You do. But would you look it right in the eyes? Would you look them in the eyes and tell them, yes, you are broken, but you're not ugly. And I choose you always and forever. I will choose you. Lord, with the, the mystery of Christmas, of the God who writes himself into the story, that continues to do new things that surprise us with that mystery, fill us with joy. Because these new things you're doing are not for our bad, they're actually for our good. They're full of mercy. They're full of grace. They're full of fire. Yes, it burns at first, but it burns away the impurities. It burns away the fear. It burns away the stuff we hold on to, the past we hold on to, that we don't have to. Let it be burnt away. Let it be dropped. 
Let us come to you with open hands. Come to the manger with open hands and see the staggering scandal that God is a baby, vulnerable and dependent, needing us, even as we so desperately need you. Lord, speak to your people. Speak to your people. Wipe away sad tears and fill us with tears of laughter. Tears of rejoicing. For our God has come, don't be afraid. He's come for us, for you. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.